Well, good morning once again. If you'll take your Bibles, turn to the Gospel of John, the Gospel of John, chapter 6. I want to read for you verse, I want to start at verse 48 and read through verse 59. John 6, starting at verse 48. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not as the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. Will you pray with me, please? Oh, Father... Oh God of all glory, we thank You so much for Your Word. Father, I pray now that You would guard my mouth, help me as I relate what You have given me to Your people, that it may be edifying, that we may be changed, that we may see Your glory through Your Son. Thank You for the Gospel of John. Thank You for its teachings and how it totally and beautifully teaches us the life of Christ, His death, resurrection. Father, I pray now that You would glorify Yourself in this worship. And Father, I do ask You, I beg You to please send out more missionaries. I pray that You would fulfill Luke chapter 10. I pray, God, that You would even send out more gospel preachers from this congregation. Help us, O oh God. Give us strength. We are weak, incapable without the power of the Spirit. Help us to be willing to suffer what we must in order to advance Your kingdom. And I pray we would do that faithfully until Your return. I ask and pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. I want to leave you several thoughts from this section of Scripture from John 6 because uh, usually in my Bible reading what I'll do is, uh, and many of you probably do this, uh, I'll take five chapters, say, from the book of John and I'll read five chapters a day for a month and then go back and read another five and so forth until you've got pretty much the whole book kind of in your head because I need that because my memory is fading. 
so I need to go over it and over it and over it in order to understand it and remember it. But this section of Scripture, when I come to this in my Bible reading, I always looked at it and went, what in the world is going on? What's happening here? And so I want to take just a few words here and a few phrases uh, and kind of unpack them for you as what the Lord showed me as I studied this section. And maybe some of you have studied John's Gospel and have mastered it, and you're going to know exactly what I'm going to say, and you already know the things that you understand through this section of Scripture. And if that's the case, why, you can just sit there gloriously. I want to start at verse 51, and I want to look at this verse. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Now, what is going on? This is an exclusive claim made by Jesus. Exclusive claim made by Jesus. But to make His claim more exclusive, Jesus, what He does here, is very brilliant, the most brilliant mind in the whole universe. He uses in the Greek language the definite article throughout this verse. In fact, he uses it one, two, three, four, five. He uses it six times. If I counted right, if I haven't missed one, he uses the definite article six times when he is relating this verse to the Jews that are listening. Over and over we find the definite article in the Greek language. Now, what does it mean when we find that definite article? in the Greek language. Because he says here, he uses the definite article, whole artos, whole zone, and over and over and over again. What this literally is, is saying is, he says, I am the only bread. I am the only bread with the only life that is eternal. Come down from the midst of the only heaven. If someone eats this exclusive bread, they will have the only life that is eternal, which is my flesh alone. That's what it means when he uses that definite article. And that could not be any clearer for the Jews that were listening or for us today that read and study that passage, that verse. I am the only bread. I am the only one. I am the only life that is eternal. Come down from the only heaven with the only life. That is just, that is mind-blowing. For the Jews that have been grumbling and grumbling and grumbling about Jesus, especially His words in this chapter, They were grumbling about Him. They would have understood the full use of every definite article that was said. That is why they were in such shock. How could a man speak like this? How could He do that? But at the same time, when they understood the definite article, they didn't understand any of it because they did not believe that Jesus was divine. They did not believe He was a divine person. They refused 
to believe in Him. They refused to believe that Jesus was divine. And we find that all over America today. People say, oh, He's a good man, but no way is He Lord. No way is He the Son of Man. Here's what I found. My watch is telling me what Jesus the Son of Man means. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I don't know how to turn this thing off. (laughs) Well, that's interesting. That's the first time that's ever happened. Well, I don't know if I can trust what it comes up with. (laughs) We'll just stick to what I found through the Scriptures. Men all over the world, even in the most remote places on earth, partake in all kinds of things in an effort to find meaning and fulfillment in their life. You take the Korowai people. They're always trying to find fulfillment in pigs, in women, now in gold. Because it's coming to the area, they found that their river produces gold, so they're going to seek after it. Finding fulfillment in things and in possessions. When all along, standing right in front of them, is this divine Christ, the only bread, the only fulfillment in life. Listen to me, what is your fulfillment in this life? What is your all-satisfying desire in this life? Are you truly longing for Christ through His Spirit, through His Word, through prayer, through constant prayer? In fact, the reality is, is from this text, according to this text, are we hungry for Christ? Because He is the only one that can feed us. Now what we must understand is that even the work of missions, or in fact any ministry that we do with our life, as short as it is, whatever it is we do for the kingdom of God, cannot give us true and lasting fulfillment. As much as I love living in the jungle with the Korowai people, as hard as it is, as much as I love that, that will not give me all satisfying fulfillment. We will never find true and lasting fulfillment in things, people, events, circumstances. True satisfaction, true fulfillment are found in this living bread that came down from the only heaven. Our labors in Christ for this in this life, no matter who we are, are always to be done. Now every labor that we do is always to be done with a thankful, joyful, and obedient heart for what He has done for us through His life, death, resurrection, and ascension. Now the words he uses here are really interesting. The words eat and feed saturate this section of Scripture. In fact, they are found in nine verses in this section. Nine verses. So that means we need to pay attention to why he's using this kind of language to the Jews. 
Why does Jesus use this kind of language concerning eating? Well, there are several reasons why this kind of language is used, and I want to give you several. First, when people eat food, it becomes a part of them through digestion. Does it not? The food goes through the body giving nourishment. It satisfies the body. It gives strength, depending on what you eat. People may think much of Christ and even speak kindly of Him, but it is not until He enters their lives that they become one with Him. That's John 17, 21. Christ is spiritually ingested into the one who believes. This is why Jesus uses this kind of language. He is spiritually ingested into the one who believes. Now, there is a contrast here. And it's really a beautiful contrast. With the Old Testament manna and Jesus, the bread from heaven. And you know that contrast. The contrast is between Exodus 16 and John 6. Those are the contrasts. And it is very interesting that the people of Israel in Exodus 16, what were they doing too? They were grumbling, just like the Jews in John 6. The bread that was sent from Yahweh in the wilderness to the people of Israel did not grant them eternal life. It couldn't. The proof is that the fathers ate it and they died. They died in the wilderness. That bread was only good for temporal, natural life. The contrast is, we find was Jesus was sent from the Father from heaven as the bread that has come down from heaven. The people of Israel ate the bread in the desert and were temporarily satisfied. This exclusive bread that has come down from the only heaven must be eaten by all people for eternal life. This is one of the reasons we do missions, is it not? This is the one of the reasons we do evangelization, is it not? We proclaim a message about this exclusive bread that has come down from heaven. We proclaim that if anyone eats of this bread, they will live forever. You can have life forever. Don't you want that? Don't you want to taste and ingest Christ spiritually? The centrality of missions and even our message wherever we are is Christ. That is why when we send missionaries as congregations, as local congregations, we send them to preach Christ alone who can grant forgiveness of sins. We don't send men and women with other messages. We don't send men and women with, well, good philosophies. We don't send men and women with just good morals to tell about. We send men and women that will lay down their lives for this message. 
That's why we must know what missionaries believe and know what they are willing to perish for for those beliefs. We must understand that missions will never be accomplished by little boys and little girls playing missionary on the mission field. It just won't happen. And you look at my field today and some of the junk that is taught in Papua is horrifying. And that stuff's coming out of America. This is a serious calling, brethren. Why? Because Christ gave His life for those that respond in saving faith. He gave His life for those people that respond in saving faith when we preach and love and disciple and care for those people. And it's... I'm just so tired of seeing all the mess that's out there of so-called missionaries. Where are the preachers that will say Christ alone is the exclusive bread? I think that's part of the reason I wrote the book I wrote. I was just, over the years, I just it seemed like every time I turned around there was some heresy on the field coming from another country into Papua. I heard one time, I heard a missionary sit in front of a, a group like this uh, of evangelists, of Lonnie evangelists, and he looked at them, and this was an opportunity to open the Word and encourage them in the Word so that they could go out and proclaim the Gospel into the remote parts of Papua. And he stood in front of them and he said these words. He said, Doctrine is not what you need right now. You talk about horrifying. If we don't have any doctrine, we have no mission. There is so little time. There's just I'm so little time to commit this message to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. What are we going to do about it? What are we going to do? So if people eat this exclusive bread, there's a result. That result is eternal life. They eat this exclusive bread, they receive, they get eternal life. The phrase here that he uses in verse 51, if anyone eats this bread... Now, if anyone eats this bread, that phrase in essence means coming to Jesus by faith. Coming to Jesus by faith. If anyone eats this bread, if you come to me by faith, you will have received eternal life. This exclusive bread is the flesh of Jesus. Now, John is John does not use the word uh, for body here. I don't know if you've ever noticed that. He does not use the word for body, which is soma, in this section. He uses the word flesh. This makes sense from what we know of John 1.14. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. So you could say because of His incarnation, Jesus is giving, present active, He is continually giving His flesh for the life of the world at that point in time. Now, we must realize it is the Father 
who gave the Son, and the Son who gave Himself. That's John 10.18. So we can truthfully say that Jesus' sacrifice of His flesh is vicarious. Vicarious. And vicarious meaning substitute. Because it is for the life of the world. That means, now, brother, that means when we, we can say, when we proclaim the gospel to people here or abroad, to believe in Christ is to accept and fully absorb the Son of God into one's life as their substitute for their sin. He becomes life itself. And I'm sure you've had many experiences and probably some just like me, sometimes when you preach the good news to people, you can see their facial expressions and demeanor. You've seen that before, right? Probably all types of expressions, demeanors, comments. They are trying to process everything you're saying and put all the facts together. And sometimes it's as if the message is hidden from them. Isn't it? It's as if it's hidden. Just when, just like maybe when Jesus spoke in parables and they didn't understand. It's almost like they're not grasping, understanding what we're saying. It was the same for the Jews in verse 52. It was the same for them in verse 52. Listen. This is the ever-present disputation of the heart of fallen people. And most people will respond with what? Yeah, but. You've heard that before. Yeah, but. Yes, but. How can? How can? Look at verse 52. The Jews then disputed among themselves saying what? How can? Nicodemus, do you remember Nicodemus in John 3, verses 4 and verse 9? Verse 4 and 9 use the exact same words. How can a man be born when he is old? How can these things be? In John 6.42, if you look up just a little bit, that verse says, They said, Is not this Jesus the son of Joseph? whose father and mother we know. Here it is. How does He now say, I have come down from heaven? How can these things be? I like what uh, William Hendrickson said. He said, Unbelief never understands the mysteries of salvation. Moreover, it is ready to scoff and to say, this or that is sheer impossibility. The Jews were just like that. This is sheer impossibility. Nicodemus, how can this be? This is an impossibility. There is no way that this is true. You see, the hard-heartedness and stubbornness of unbelief can only think physically. Can only think physically. Just like the Jews in this section, they were ignorant of all spiritual understanding and it's the same with everyone we preach to isn't it until the spirit of truth enlightens them 
See, we're the ones that must be faithful to the Word, to proclaim the message. And guess what will happen? The Spirit does the work through the proclaimed message. You know, you and I cannot enlighten anyone no more than water can light a candle. But the Holy Spirit is the one who enlightens the dead sinner. And now we have a handful of Korowai people that the Holy Spirit has enlightened. And now we have the enormous task of taking that handful and teaching them the Scriptures so that they can in turn teach the people in the tree houses and in other villages. How does Jesus respond to the Jews in verse 52? Well, it's really interesting. He places a condition on them with the word unless. Unless. Excuse me, in verse 53. In verses... In verse 53, Jesus makes a negative statement. And in verse 54, He makes a positive statement. He says in verse 53, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. There's the negative statement. Here's the positive, verse 54. Whoever feeds on My flesh and drinks My blood has eternal life. Now, in verse 53, the verbs here that he uses, the verbs eat and drink, are aorist verbs. Now, I'll explain what that means. They're not present tense verbs. In verse 53, they're aorist verbs. What does that mean? That means the sacrifice of His flesh becomes to us the food that satisfies our soul soul when we believed at that point in time. It's talking about a specific point in time when we believed by faith. That's why He uses the aorist verbs. It's not a present tense verb. Now, both of these metaphors that he uses here teach of the necessity of believing in the sacrificial death of Christ for the forgiveness of sins. To believe in Christ is to take Him into ourselves by faith. That is what we herald to the nations. The labors of missions has one objective responsibility to preach Christ's life, death, resurrection, and ascension. So clearly that the hearer is left with two possible choices. Either to receive the message or to reject it. Now in verse 54, Jesus calls Himself by a title that is used through out the Gospels. Have you noticed that? Look at verse 54. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. And I will raise him up on the last day. Um, for my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. 
He uses, he says, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man, in verse 53, sorry. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man. Now, why use this title? Why does he say in verse 53, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man? Why not say, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of God? Or, unless you eat my flesh? It is helpful to understand this title, Son of Man, and why he uses it. Because this will help us understand Jesus' thought process in the passage. But also, the title Son of Man is one of the most important titles for Jesus in the New Testament. And it is also one of the most misunderstood titles in the Scriptures. Now, we know that Jesus has two natures. Divine and human. A divine nature and a human nature. Totally God. Totally man. What is usually assumed by people when Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man, that he is talking about his human nature. And when he is referred to as the Son of God, that he is talking about his divine nature. Actually, that's not true. The titles Son of Man and Son of God are opposite of what we would expect here. The title Son of God does have in certain texts in Scripture emphasis on the eternal sonship and His deity. We don't dispute that. But however, the title here that He uses, the Son of Man, is what we need to pay attention to. The title comes from the book of Daniel, chapter 7, verse 13, when He says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a Son of Man. And he came to the Ancient of Days. One like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days. To the Ancient of Days comes one like a son of man who is given authority to judge the world. Now, according to verse 13 in Daniel 7, the Son of Man was presented before the Ancient of Days. Catch that? Now what is that? What does that mean? This is the ascension into the presence of the Father. Remember what Jesus said in John chapter 3, verse 13? No one has ascended into heaven except He who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Isn't that beautiful? The title Son of Man is not an expression of humility that He has come in human nature, but this title is a claim to Jesus' divine authority. The Son of Man. When you read that title, the Son of Man, that is a claim to His divine authority. Remember when Jesus healed on the Sabbath and His enemies planned what they might do to Him? And what did Jesus say? For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Matthew 12.8 Now, verse 54 here in John 6 says, Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood 
has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Now, he, he has already said this in verse 53. So, why say it again? Well, like the intake of food and drink, we must feed on and drink Christ in a spiritual sense for eternal life. So eating and drinking Christ is equated with coming, looking, and believing in Him. You see that? I mean, it was even what Augustine said. Augustine said, believe and you have eaten. That's the gospel. We want people from every tribe, tongue, and nation to eat Christ, spiritually speaking, so that they will have true life that comes through the shedding of His blood and the sacrifice of Himself on the cross. Now, the Jews found that statement very, very offensive. Just like today, you'll find people very offended at that statement. Because the reason they found that so offensive was because the law of Moses prohibited the drinking of blood and even eating the meat with the blood still in it. It's just like the people in, you know, I serve in Indonesia. It's like the people in Sumatra. The Batak people, they love to cook dog meat in blood. I had a language teacher that always did that. She loved it. Cook the dog meat in blood. To a Jew, there is no way. That is reprehensible. How dare you speak in that fashion? And Jesus even asked them in verse 61, if you move forward, He says, do you take offense at this? For them to drink the blood of the Son of Man was detestable. They couldn't make the connection between Leviticus 17.11 and Jesus' words here. Because what does Leviticus 17.11 say? For the life of the flesh is in the blood. And I have given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement for the life. See that? They couldn't make the connection. Now, Notice the words, or the verbs, excuse me, feeds and drinks. Now, this is in, he uses this a lot in verse, verses 54, 55, 56, 57, and 58. He uses the verbs drink, drinks, and eats, or feeds, as most translations have, feeds. Now, these two verbs are present participles. Now this is interesting, so listen up. Which indicate, because they're present participles, they're not aorist, remember. The aorist verbs before were at that point in time when you came to Christ in saving faith. Now he uses these same verbs, but with a present participle. The word feeds and drinks indicates that the feeding and the drinking is a continual intake of the Lord Jesus Christ. The words feeds, or the word feeds, literally means to chew, to munch, to chew audibly. Now you think about that. 
As a parent, and as many parents here, we raise our children to say what during a meal? Close your mouth. I don't want to see your food. Chew quietly. No chomping. I mean, we've all said those things, right? And we've all been taught that. Here, this word feeds literally means to eat audibly, to munch on, to chew, to where you can actually say as you're chomping, you know when food tastes good and you're chewing it and it's just satisfying to the taste buds and you swallow it and you just... That's what he's saying here. Feeds to chew audibly. Now, verse 51 through 53, he uses the verb eats, which is the aorist active, pointing into a specific point in time. But in verses 54 through 58, it's a continual intaking of Jesus Christ. That blew, when I saw that, that blew me away. And the Jews didn't get it. They just didn't see it. They were too busy grumbling with the hardness of their heart. This means really that Jesus went from a singular action of eating to a continual action of feeding and drinking, spiritually speaking. That's, that's beautiful. He's proclaiming the gospel to them in language that if you just read this on the surface, you go, what kind of cannibalism is this? Believers want, see, believers want more of Christ. They want more and more and more every day, every day, every day. If you don't want more of Christ, then listen up. You're not a believer. True believers continually intake Him. Not that they don't commit a sin and come back in repentance and confess that sin, but they continually want that intaking of Christ into their life so that they can glorify Him and become more and more and more like Him. That's what we preach to the Korowai people. Do you want Him? Do you want to be like Him? You know, this, this is the genuine food that comes from heaven. The only genuine food, which indicates to us that all other forms of soul satisfaction are false. Everything else is false. Feeding on Jesus continually is the same as, now listen, it's the same as abiding in Him. That is verse 56. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood, what? Abides in me and I in Him. Listen to John 15.5. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. We see this theme of in Christ, in Christ, Throughout, throughout the New Testament, especially the New Testament epistles. Christ is in you, 2 Corinthians 13.5. Christ who lives in me, Galatians 2.20. God in Him, 1 John 3.24. Listen to me. We must understand, are we in Christ? 
Are we continually abiding in Him? For many, many years, many years, I played the church game, sat in pews just like this, confessed Christ, said, I am a Christian, and I would walk out the doors and I would blaspheme His name. Are we in Christ? Do you long for His total, total, total life indwelling in you? There's a continual abiding that takes place. And that's what Jesus' words are here with the words, feeds on me. Now, this is really interesting. If we compare verse 40 of John 6, John 6, 40, with verse 54, if we compare those two, we'll notice that the results in these two verses are the same. That's why the whole chapter, you really just got to soak the whole chapter in because you can just go back and forth and let Scripture interpret Scripture here. Verse 40 and 54, these two verses are the same. Now, verse 40 says, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. What are those results? What are those results? Well, we have two. Eternal life and we have resurrection. These results from verse 40 come from, now get this, they come from looking and believing on the Son. Whereas in verse 54, the results come from eating His flesh and drinking His blood. See that connection? This means that verse 54 is parallel to verse 40. This means that we can say the eating and the drinking are the looking and the believing. Wow. That's great. It's looking and believing. Verse Verses 55 through 56 of John 6 say, For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. Well, you can't get any more direct than that. These are the words of eternal life. But it is also words of continual remaining or abiding. Continually. Is your life continually remaining and abiding in Him? This is why His flesh and blood are really food and drink. Spiritually speaking, because they nourish us. Between believers in Christ, there is a remaining in that condition. This means we continue to be identified with Jesus, continue to be identified with Christ and His Spirit. Continue as a Christian. Continue in saving faith. Continue in growing in that faith. And continue to have transformation of life in Him. If that is non-existent, then you do not practice the truth. You do not have life in you. See, Jesus identifies Himself with the believer. Not in a reciprocal way. 
But through blessing, through life, through help, and through the presence of His Spirit indwelling us. Now, we must understand something. Union with Christ is a promise. Union with Christ is a promise for those that continually feed on Him. Union with Christ is a continual promise for those that drink Him. How do we do that? That's the question. How do I continually feed and drink on Christ? Well, here's how we do it. We study. We study and we study. We pray and we pray and we pray until we drop dead. We do this over and over and over, not out of a sense of fear if we don't do it, but out of love for His truth that changes us. Don't we want to be changed? More like Him? And I find myself in the village struggling with that day after day because I get so irritated, so quickly mad as a missionary in the village. And you think, wow, he gets... Yes, I get irritated. I get irritated at the people when someone comes by my door hawking out snot to get my attention at 5 in the morning because they think what they want is more important than my sleep. I get irritated. And how am I going to respond? Well, in fact, it got so bad at one point that I, uh, I had to tell my wife, okay, there's so many people coming. I mean, travel ministry is 24-7. I mean, there's just never a break. So I said, okay, we've got to change things. Otherwise, I'm going to be back in the States burnt out. In fact, I got burnt out one time, and our church had to send us off the field uh, for a month to rest. Um, I couldn't even function, but we had to make some changes. So I said to my wife, okay, in the mornings after breakfast, I am going to study and I am going to do my activities in the Word and prayer and um, if I'm doing some sort of class or whatever it is, especially study, I'm going to take that, I'm going to go hide in a room in our jungle house and just tell the people that I'm not available up until after lunch. After lunch, one o'clock, I'm theirs. Talk to me. I'm yours. What do you got? We study and we study and we study and we pray and we pray so that the truth will change us. We cannot expect the change, we can't expect to change the world with one missionary at a time if we are not continually intaking the Lord Jesus Christ through His Word and through prayer. We just can't do it. These are the means of grace that He has given His people. World missions will be of little importance to us if we do not remain in this abiding in Him. If we do not continually feed and continually drink on Him, world missions will mean absolutely nothing to us. 
You want power from the Holy Spirit in your life when you do His will? Then you must give yourself to this true food and this true drink. I'm the only bread. Come down with the only life eternal from the only heaven to give the only life to sinners like you and me. We must give ourselves to this blessed Christ. Let's pray. Father, I thank You so much for this few moments in Your Word. I thank You for the instruction in this section. May we commit to these things. Help us. Please help us. Help us to walk worthy of the calling with which we've been called. Help us to be men and women, students of the Word. Oh God, whether we're in the remote jungles or we're in the city of St. Louis, Father, help us. Please help us to be students of the Word and people committed to prayer. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.